Hey folks, on this episode of the Application Security Podcast, Robert and I are joined by Irene Michelin, who talks to us about incremental threat modeling. Incremental threat modeling is how do you apply threat modeling in an agile or DevOps world where your developers are going 100 miles an hour and there's extreme feature velocity? How do you check the security and determine the threats and deal with those threats in a timely fashion? We hope you enjoy. The Application Security Podcast. Here we go. Hey folks, welcome to this episode of the Application Security Podcast. On this episode, we are joined by Irene Michelin, who's going to uh, speak to us about threat modeling and how we approach threat modeling with things that go fast. So, hey, Irene, thank you for uh, being with us today. Hi, Chris. So one of the things that, uh, Irene, we always do with our, our guests is we want to provide some perspective for our audience about how do people how do people get into security? Where do they come from? So, um, if you could please share with us your security origin story, or how did you get into the world of application security? Sure. So I've started as a software developer. I've been a developer architect for many years, and um, two of the companies were building a security product. But interestingly. It was not immediately translated into secure development practices. But then one of them started being, it's not enough to build a security product. You know, the product itself must be secure and our development must be secure and how we introduce security into everything we do, every aspect of the life cycle. Uh, so by that time, I was uh, sort of a senior developer, and I was also into process, how to do agile, scrum, lean, all these things. So I was right in the intersection of introducing security into lifecycle at the same time, maintaining our ability to deliver rapidly all the releases that we were doing frequently before then. And that was a very interesting transition. And after that, I started to look around, maybe sort of expand from being a developer to doing this thing uh, more permanently for different uh, organizations. And I came into consulting, and it seems like a very good spot for me to be in the intersection of agility and security, because these are two things that I'm passionate about. Yeah, and it seems like this is a, um, you know, application security has been such a hot area for the last few years. And, you know, with, with there, there's, there's not a lot of people that are focusing on how we do application security at a high rate of speed. There's a lot of people that know how to, you know, how to do different, different facets of it. But I think this is an interesting kind of a, a, a area that you've kind of specialized in here is to, you know, how do you, how do you do application security when you're trying to develop and deliver software at a, at an extremely high velocity? Sure. I think 
the security approach, all the security specialists come. If you work in a tester for many years, you usually work with an organization that takes security seriously. And these organizations tend to be large organizations, maybe financial or other corporate people who are maybe under some um, external pressure compliance. So they maybe are not as agile as everyone else. And, and I think we are at the point where the maturity of software development is catching up with the maturity of security. So security people see agile life cycles more and more and DevOps, something that maybe they didn't see five or even three years ago. So it's an interesting learning opportunity for everyone, for software people to learn about security and for security people to learn about faster life cycles, not maybe what they're used to, to come every quarter and to test things before release and then they go and fix it, you know, the typical old school pen testing. Yeah, and I, um, I, I the, the fact that you kind of, you, you stated, hey, that um, you'd, you'd worked for this company that was building a security product. Uh, in my past experience, I had some opportunities to work with different groups that were building security products. And it was, I don't know if this has been your, it was your experience as well, but the people that build security products a lot of times tend to think that security product equals product security. And mm -hmm. they already know, like, oh, no, we're a security product. We're good. Well, no, just because you're a security product doesn't mean you actually practice good product security in what you do. It just means you're a security product. Did you did you have that same experience in, in working with teams that were building, kind of putting air quotes around security products? Um, sometime, but I must say that was a long time ago. <laughs> And this organizations mature as well because if you come, if you sold your product to someone and this client of yours invited a red team and red teams then writes a report saying all of the security products you had were just more tax surface for us. Hey, and you hear this feedback. Suddenly you start taking the security of your security product way more seriously, right? Yeah. Uh, and that's the way red team see whatever you've installed on your server, it's just more things for us to play with. So that better be secure. So uh, we are big fans of threat modeling here. Our, our listeners will know they've heard us talk about threat modeling a number of different times in the life of the Application Security Podcast. And so um, what, what's been your experience then with, with threat modeling, Irene? Well, I've started to do threat modeling when still working as a developer, and it's been incredibly useful. So obviously it does what it says on the team, it finds threats that you maybe didn't think about. But it also does so much more when you do it as a whole team. If you involve QA, it helps them from these threats to build security-focused test cases, which are traditionally very hard to, to build to come up with good security-focused stories. It also helps the team to sort of have this shared mental picture to share the understanding when you're forced to distill your architecture to, to a diagram and 
to tell the story, you know, if, if you go through software-centric threat modeling, um, one of the things is how to know you have a good diagram, check that it tells the story what your system does. For the team that does it for the first time, even that can be revolutionary. <laughs> what is it our product? What is our story? And can we all agree on, on, on what it does? So the team sh improves the knowledge sharing massively through threat modeling. As I said, you get uh, test cases out of it. You you validate requirements, and it's just a really good introduction to security. Developers didn't come across other security activities before. This one, I think, is one of the lowest um, entry barriers into into lifecycle through threat modeling. But of course, these are all additional benefits. The main benefit it finds threats and you can mitigate them before you actually build the insecure product. And I was curious about, I know that I've seen some of your work where you talk about incremental threat modeling. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things I get uh, sort of pushback, if you will, certainly from teams that are doing agile or DevOps or something that's a really fast cycle is, oh, we don't have time for threat modeling. Sure. Uh, you know, we're already many, many sprints in. We're already almost done or halfway done. Uh, what's the value of threat modeling? Um, and it sounds like that's been some of your experience as well. Could you talk to us about that? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the two objections I hear. One of them is we are into sprint 10. We cannot just stop and threat model everything we built into the previous nine sprints. Uh, so my advice is do a threat model for just the new things that go into your next sprint. And it, it could be a bit challenging for a team to, to keep it time boxed, to ignore all the threats that may be already lurking there, but have nothing to do with what we are building in the next sprint. Uh, but you can um, help to keep it focused if maybe um, whoever is helping this agile team with the processes in, in general, maybe Scrum Master, to keep it focused, saying this is not changing in the subsequent sprint. Sure, maybe there are threats in this feature, but what we are building now will not make it worse. So that's one of the key phrases for me. It helps to keep it focused. Are we making it worse with what we are building? The goal of our threat modeling is just to concentrate on not introducing new threats, new security problems. So maybe we are in a whole security-wise, and we don't even know how deep it is because we didn't model the system as a whole, but what it can do from this point, we can stop digging. <laughs> That's the focus of this incremental threat modeling. Stop digging. Make sure you're not making a hole any deeper than it's already is. So then how do you, Irene, how do you recommend that folks deal with the kind of security debt that they would have, uh, they would have built up in those earlier sprints? How, how do they, how do they go back and, over time and try to figure out, you know, and try to ensure there are no threats in what they did in the initial time. Right. So when 
software development in general talks about uh, legacy software. I know the recommendation is oh, don't try to introduce tests to everything. Just add tests to the things that are changing and eventually you will cover all the important bits. So unfortunately with threat modeling, it's not like that in my opinion, because if the vulnerability is there in some feature, even if there is no code churn around this feature, even if it's not used much, still if there is a vulnerability in it and the attackers find it, they will be able to compromise the whole application through, through this vulnerability. So unfortunately, the answer is not just or do incremental forever and eventually you will cover everything that's important. No, uh, you will have to tackle the the debt on unmodeled things eventually. But what has been my experience, through doing incremental for a while, you build, you build up your skills. And when you come and tackle this technical debt, you are much more efficient and you can do it faster than if you just tried to face it on day one, like I've read a book or I had a training, and now I will start modeling my whole system. It will be much more time-consuming than if you start incremental, you build up your skills, you maybe model some subsystems or components through this incremental, and when you come to model the whole system, you're not facing the, the blank page. And also you have a better skill level. So overall, I think it's a more efficient approach and cost-effective as well. So when you go through the uh, the process, what what is the kind of the, your your basic process that you teach to new developers to get them into this incremental threat modeling mindset? <clears throat> So I have uh, some exercises normally. I would present a simple architecture. I will explain it and the model for this architecture. And then we go, let's pretend we don't know the existing architecture. It's all just a big legacy blob. And let's talk about adding new feature and how we can model this new feature without knowing all the previous model and how we can focus just on the threads that are to do with the new data flows and the new additions to our system. And through this exercise, we, we learn to, to discover just enough of the existing stuff, just enough. And I have a couple of presentations where I like challenge people, get, get your phone out, start a, uh, start a timer and we go through this realistic feature in 10 to 15 minutes and they think even if you are in a very tight iterations, say week long iterations, you have one hour, one hour and a half of your planning meeting how many features you will realistically do in, in this iteration say three to five stories, features, whatever so my experience is for at least half of them, you will look at them and you will say, it doesn't change our current model, whatever it is. We are not adding new data flows. We are not adding new components. 
nothing to see here from the point of view of threat model moving on and, and that took what 10 seconds to say it as there will be one or two features where you do have to go deeper and to apply stride and look at all the new data flows that you are adding and that should take about 10 minutes per feature so i think it's realistic for development team that goes into even a week-long iterations. Now, if people are working without any iterations, say if it's a lean process or something, they take a story and they just work on it and they deploy it as soon as possible. Even in this kind of environment, say they are doing extreme programming, that's the fastest you can go in, in development, right? So the pair of developers just grab the story works on it as fast as they can and tests it and deploys it. If you look at the extreme programming guide, it says the pair should start with a conversation about the story. Well, you put this incremental threat modeling into your conversation, so your conversation takes 10 minutes longer than it would otherwise do, but you get so much benefit out of this 10-15 minutes. I think it's a quite a realistic goal for, for even the fastest development environment. So the point of the timer then when you're when you're doing when you're teaching your developers how to threat model is to demonstrate to them that they can effectively do threat modeling in a very short period of time. Is that the idea? Yes. Yes, that's the idea. We take a realistic architecture, we take a realistic feature. Then we say, okay, let's pretend we don't know the whole system. It's just a legacy blob. Let's discuss this feature and let's discover what are the data flows it adds, what what are the components within this legacy system that it needs to communicate to, but don't go any deeper. If you come across things that you suspect are probably present in your existing application, just record them and move on. You don't do threat modeling of existing threats in, in this incremental process. You record them and move on. So do you, uh, how do you, when, when you're working with your developers, how are they, where are they recording their threats in this process where they go fast? Are they opening up, uh, you know, bug reports based on the threats that are found or how do you track these things and ensure they get fixed in a reasonable amount of time when you're trying to move fast uh, well that's separate from the modeling how you manage threat life cycle and it may not suit everyone but i do recommend keep everything in one tracker one source of work for the team because uh, what you see sometimes people have a bug tracker let, let's say jira right it's not an endorsement but let's say jira and <laughs> they take their stories and they take their bugs from it but but everything security related is hidden in some kind of spreadsheet on security's architect laptop it's not a good place to be in because there is no visibility 
And this work is perceived as outside of our normal processes. It may be perceived as, oh, it's just something that slows us down, that eats into our velocity. Uh, I think security work has to be visible. So the easiest case is it's a security feature, right? We need a secure login or we need a better uh, access controls implemented. That's very easy. It's like any other agile story or agile feature. You work on it. It's on your board. So, so you're just creating a user story then. So in, in this yeah. first case, you're just creating a user story to say, hey, we identified something in the threat modeling process that needs to be done. No, no, not always. That's what I mean. It's not suitable for every threat. Okay. So if it's something that can be expressed as a story, that's the easiest case. You just write a story. So it can be either security feature or an attacker-focused story. So you create a role of your user and you tell your usual template of Agile story from the point of view of an evil user. But unfortunately, not all threats are easily expressible as stories. Some of them... Some of them are just not suitable to be a functional story. And we need to find other ways of recording this work to keep it visible. So some options are make them part of acceptance criteria or make them part of definition of done. So say the team has this definition of done that says uh, the code has to build, obviously. It has to uh, pass... um, unit tests and to be covered at least 80% or whatever is the team's definition of done, you can add things to it that will be security um, specific things like if I run it through our static analyzer, it doesn't come with any new errors, for example. And this is something that just cannot be expressed as a story. And not something as can be expressed as a task, because sometimes you see these boards where the story is broken into tasks, and everything is written as a separate task. Do a code review, run a static analyzer. What happens with this task when team is under time pressure? There will always be a pressure to cut to cut these corners, to remove these tasks, to, to do them later. And this is this is not good. But if they are part of the definition of done, then team controls them and they are not negotiable. Like the story is not done until it went through all the security activities that that we've decided on. So a kind of checklist, essentially, that you would yeah. associate. Yeah. Okay. So what I'm saying, what can be a story? Make it a story. Put it in the same uh, tracker as all of your other stories. What cannot be a story added to acceptance criteria or checklist or definition of done. So I'm a, I'm a little bit confused as to what uh, on the, in the acceptance criteria or the definition of done, you were talking about kind of static analysis and some of the other things. Do you have a, do you recommend a specific threat modeling statement in that acceptance criteria that says, <laughs> For or, or in definition of done, that's going to say this feature for it for this feature to be done or complete, it must have all threats mitigated. Is there a catch-all there? 
Uh, well, that would be a very, very strong definition of done. And if team can stay on top of it, then fantastic. But I don't think it will always be the case. Not all mitigated, but at least all analyzed. Oh, yeah. And for each thread, you need to decide what you do with it because some threads we can accept. We can say, yeah, it's a risk, but we've decided we, we can live with this risk. Right. So, so managing risk along with, okay, and determining priorities yeah, and so like, forth. As long as a conscious, informed decision has been made, there are options what to do with the threat. So there are any specific uh, tools that you, you recommend your developers use to do threat modeling at a high rate of speed? Uh, sometimes low tech is the, the fastest. <laughs> if you just if you just people in the room with a whiteboard, it might be fastest just to do your threat modeling with the whiteboard uh, rather than try to uh, get uh, any specific tool. Uh, I do like uh, Microsoft threat modeling tool. Uh, I think it's also quite a reasonable learning curve. I, I've seen people get some basic training, a couple of exercises, and they can start using it because it's really similar to any other diagramming tool like, like Visio. So people already have the skills to start using it. The disadvantage of it is not so easy to export your diagrams to to anywhere else, really. But the threads themselves are exportable, so that's good, in the latest version, at least. I, I, I don't think it can be used to store threads in it, because first of all, too many false positives, and second of all, it will turn into a separate tracker, just as bad as spreadsheet. So I guess the idea is you build your diagram in it, you discuss the diagram, either doing sort of stride in your head and capturing threads and putting them in the way we've discussed as stories or um, acceptance criteria or definition of done or whatever. And, uh, and you can also look at auto-generated threads to see if something interesting was found but that's another thing I found from experience. If you if you do these things at speed, then the auto-generated threads are just too much. You get more value from using the tool to build a good diagram and just quickly go through through stride just with people in the room. Maybe someone can later look at auto-generated threads to see if we didn't miss anything spectacular, but I tend to use it more as a safety net. Yeah. So you're so you're you're kind of you're using uh, Stride as your kind of foundational approach then that you're teaching your developers. Yeah. How, how has that been? So I've 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 had a um, a storied history with Stride, and and I say that because. I started, you know, when I was, when I was 
working in a large technology company and rolling out threat modeling, I, we started using Stride as the backbone of, of what we were teaching. And then I went through a period of about a year and a half where I, ha- I started to hate Stride because I thought it was too simple and I wasn't, I didn't see like I was getting, I wasn't getting deep enough results from what the developers were putting forward. And then after mm-hmm. about a year and a half, I came back to Stride and then I, I, I saw the beauty and the simplicity again. So, um, that's kind of my love hate relationship that I've had with, with using Stride as the kind of backbone of a program. Have you had any, um, have you had any, any concerns that Stride is too simple and it's not, it's not complex enough to capture modern day threats? <laughs> I don't think to say something is not complex enough is a disadvantage, but yeah. it's, it's high level. Okay. If, if the people are very much technical, if it's all like, oh, which, which crypto we are using and what is the protocol and, um, you know, what are the permissions on this file, then Stride is at least one abstraction uh, level above that. So you can have this initial challenge of asking everyone to go one abstraction level higher than that. Another disadvantage is it doesn't cover everything. So these six families of threats are very useful. But for example, things like privacy threats, you won't catch them with stride. And maybe some domain specific threats, like you said, it's, it's not good enough for modern times. So I don't know if you are a cloud provider, then maybe some things that stride just won't find for you. So I guess you need to complement it with things like um, attack libraries. But as a backbone, you said backbone, I I really like it for application development. So maybe there are domains where you need lots more things, but for application development, it's a really good backbone. It's like 80-20. As you get more experience, you can, you can complement it. Does eight twenty make sense to everyone? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's uh, that. That certainly makes sense, and um, you know, I, I, I definitely Stride doesn't have anything to do with privacy, like you said, and and privacy is such a important area that everybody needs to focus in on now. So I, I think you're, I think you've got the right approach there in saying, you know, we're going to use Stride. Stride is there. There is beauty in simplicity. Definitely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're going to use stride and then you're going to layer some domain specific stuff on top of it and consider privacy. And, you know, in my experience, I've seen that in the beginning, you just threat modeling is about momentum. And, and I would, I would, I would guess that incremental threat modeling is about momentum as well. You're going to get some terrible threat models in the beginning, but from my perspective, it's okay. Just the fact that people are threat modeling and they're, and they're moving towards that, that new way of thinking about how we're going to make things secure. We're going to find the problems early in the process. And so uh, I'm okay with them not having perfect results in the beginning and not covering privacy and domain specific stuff and just going through the stride because they're moving towards a more secure future where their experience will start to come out and they'll have even better results in their 10th threat model than they did in their first threat model. Yes, that's a very good point. So if you start with something, it may not be perfect, but 
if it, it's useful and you're learning and you will make it better and more relevant as you go along. Well, thank you, uh, Irene, for taking the time to be with us today and share all about incremental threat modeling. Um, I wrote about 10 pages of notes here as we've been talking. So this is a, this is a topic that I was fascinated in. I wanted to learn about and we figured we'd share it with our listeners as well. So, uh, thank you for being here. We really appreciate you taking the time. Okay. So from 10 pages of notes, you can compress it to really one key sentence. How to make irrelevant threats go away when you are focusing on incremental. So the magic phrase there, we are not making it worse. If team comes up with some interesting scenarios and they're not relevant to what we are building in our next iteration, you go, if you are not making it worse, record it, move on. Yeah, I like that. I will take that away. We are not making it worse. <laughs> That's great. Thank you. Okay, guys. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Application Security Podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please do us a favor and visit the iTunes store and give us a five-star rating. Our intro music is 8-Bit Kung Fu by Bourne and TJ, and the outro is Southern Delight by Stefan Kartenberg. You can find us on Twitter at AppSecPodcast or on the web at www.appsecpodcast.org.